Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Uh, welcome to the Doing Time Show. I'm Peter. Um, we'll be, this is 8.55am or www.freecr.org.au. Now, we're just going to go to a recording that was done on the, um, the 2nd of October, an event, How Can Unions Fight for Refugee Rights, organised by Unions... Unions for Refugees Forum. Before I introduce each of our excellent speakers, I just want to very briefly set the scene for um, what, we're, what we're facing politically in terms of refugee rights and the union movement. I'll be very brief about it though. Um, since the federal election, we've seen absolutely no sign that the Morrison government is relenting um, on any front in terms of refugee rights or anything in particular, as we all know. And there have been some particularly symbolic and cruel um, Flashpoints of that, uh, the, the Tamil family from Bilawila has been a really um, obvious point that the government has chosen um, to, to really uh, lay down the law over um, and refuse to, to um, give even an inch to the point of um, setting them up solely on Christmas Island. There's been locking up of 53 refugees totally incommunicado in Bamana prison, one of the most dangerous prisons in the world in Papua New Guinea. Um, and of course, the, um, the very provocative uh, plan to, in November, repeal uh, the Medivac legislation that our movement won um, quite successfully um, earlier this year. So, you know, that's, that's what we're facing and we all know that, but I think important to remember and to, um, to frame our discussions in that this year we have seen, uh, you know, no giving up in the face of that from the refugee movement. In fact, I think um, both unionists and refugees and advocates have actually stepped up substantially in terms of our resistance, the, um, the refusal to give in over the Billow Wheeler family, even to the point where we're all out at the airport and then the next day at the, um, at the hearing and then the next week at the hearing, it's been unionists at the front line of that, um, refugee rights activists just tirelessly showing up and refusing to give in um, in the face of, of the government. I, I just wanted to mention as well something that has really shifted the landscape, I think, very significantly um, for, for unionists uh, who support refugee rights in particular, was the really inspiring rally um, uh, that the TPV, um, BBE and CHEV 
and other um, insecure visa holders um, held a couple of weekends ago. I don't know if other people were there, but it just really, I think, just hearing um, people in that situation speaking openly and fearlessly uh, for, you know, really just uh, actually transformed the landscape, I think, for a lot of us in terms of being able to hear those voices directly um, and be able to connect with people who are in our community and see and know that we are living, working and fighting amongst um, refugees um, together. So I think those two um, kind of signals are, are emblematic of our movement not giving up um, and that we have some something to work on and something to work with. So on that note, I'm, I will just briefly introduce each of the speakers all together now so that we can flow one to the other and I'm not going to interrupt. Um, so that they can they can um, give us their insights into into what the union movement can be doing. Firstly, um, Michelle O'Neill, who is president of the ACTU, um, in her role at the ACTU and also formally um, as TCFUA leader and within the Labor Party, Michelle has been one of the strongest and most unequivocal, unequivocal voices for refugee rights um, that our labor movement has seen. So um, we are very very honoured to have her here today. Uh, Michael Clifford, no. in absence, <laughs> not no. going to happen. No, a, a real, a real pity. Um, yeah. But I, I do want to just mention um, because he did agree to speak, and I, you know, it's a pity that we won't hear from him. Um, but I know a lot of people in the audience uh, know about what Michael Clifford represents. He was one of the people, um, uh, one of the union leaders, who held together the. Um, I think of it as one of the most dramatic and inspirational episodes of the refugee movement where health workers refused uh, to do the bidding of the government and they held a standoff refusing to release baby Asha so that she couldn't be taken back to Nauru. Um, and that was health workers and community members standing out the front and just saying absolutely not um, and holding, holding the line. And Michael was one of the um, key people uh, who, who made sure that unionists were um, were living by that touch one, touch all kind of um, ethos. Uh, so he's not here, but maybe we can talk about him in his absence. Um, <laughs> Matt Kunkel, though, is here. Um, he's the director of the Migrant Workers Centre, and personally, and he, in his role, Matt has been organising and fighting uh, and, and organising a fighting force of and for um, migrant workers at the Migrant Workers Centre at Trades Hall. Um, he's had success, I don't know if people have seen, he's been in the news this week, um, exposing some of the racist double standards and exploitation um, in employment law in Australia, so it'll be very exciting to hear about that. And definitely, um, last but not least, uh, Garnier de Gaglier, who is a refugee unionist who works here at this um, building, the ANMF, who came to Australia by boat in 2013. She's now working um, here at the ANMF in her third year of Bachelor of Nursing and Midwifery, um, and she's an ambulance officer. She's going to share um, some of her experiences and perspective on, on where to next for all of us. So without further ado, I'm going to pass over to Michelle. Thanks, Lucy. I also want to um, begin by acknowledging the traditional owners, the people of the Kulin Nation, paying my respects to their elders past and present. It always has and it always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, so, I, um, Australia's policies towards asylum seekers and refugees and the system of onshore and offshore detention, forced deportation, and the lack of support and rights for asylum seekers and refugees in our community is cruel and simply must end. 
the ACTU has a strong policy um, and we call it a rights-based policy <coughs> to refugees and asylum seekers and we updated it at our Congress just last year. And in that policy, we call for a decent, humane refugee policy that respects the human rights of refugees and upholds our international obligations. That includes an end to indefinite detention, the closure of offshore detention centres, no boat turnbacks and no forced deportations. And we also call on the <laughs> government to end laws that unfairly discriminate against asylum seekers living in Australia and to provide permanent not temporary protection to refugees. So our position is clear and strong. Uh, so then, of course, for tonight, we want to talk about why it is that unions should fight for refugee rights. And my question really is, how can we not? Fighting for refugee rights is an important issue for us as unionists. We know that the government's cruel policies towards refugees and asylum seekers are actually fueled by racism and they're done in a, in a way to cause division uh, and to cause division between working people. Morrison and his government want to distract us from the things that actually matter in terms of what's happening in our society and in the economy. They don't want us to think about low wage growth, about wage theft, about insecure work. They don't want us to think about their lack of action on climate change. There's so many issues that they are trying to not have us focus on. And of course, the very best um, tactic they could use is to try and divide working people. And racism at its core is a, is a tool for division. But we know that Australian working people should be more fear, fearful of billionaires on their yachts than they should be of a few hundred people on boats. And it is, in fact, that um, we should be more fearful of rising inequality in this country than as we should have of a policy that actually would deliver equality and fairness for refugees and asylum seekers, no matter how they arrive. So it's vital for the union movement that we stand together against racism. And this, when we think about our position in relation to refugees and asylum seekers, it's, it's important, I think, to put it in that context and centralise it in our, in our fights for a just and more equal society. And we have to, of course, call out those that are driving fear and division. The second reason why it's something that we should all fight on and for as unionists is that we know that refugees are often um, the most disadvantaged workers in our community <coughs> if they're able to get into the workforce at all. So it's the case that they're more likely um, to be in workplaces where jobs are insecure, casual and short term, where there's wage theft, where there's exploitation. Uh, and it is also the case that um, they're uh, more likely to be subject to harassment and to discrimination and to bullying in the workplace. So we've got to organise workers no matter where they are and no matter where they're from. Um, and we must, of course, welcome every worker to our movement and to our unions. Our job is to organise workers. Um, and order, in order to make sure that we organise and build strength and power among working people, we must, of course, reach out and make sure that um, within our ranks, within our movement, we have um, people who have come to our country as asylum seekers and refugees as union members. And at its core, union members, union, the union movement is about unity. And, oh, and it's about unity about what we have in common. And, of course, that is... Um, crucial to overcoming racism, as I said. 
And we know that part of the struggle for asylum seekers here and refugees is about the issue about being able to work in our community. And from 2012 to 2015, almost everyone who came by boat could not lawfully work as a condition of their bridging visas. And this policy has changed since 2015, but there's still a significant number of people living in our community without the right to work, including cases where people have faced difficulties in renewing their bridging visas or keeping their work rights after the visa has been renewed. Short-term visas often make it um, nearly impossible for people to be able to find work, even if you've got the legal right to work, because of the short length of the visa and how that affects your ability to get a job. Uh, the recent cuts to the status resolution support services of 60% have absolutely compounded this problem. These cuts have removed the safety net from so many people that have been seeking asylum and who are excluded from other social security. No safety net as well as the barriers to finding a job forces people into exploitative and unsafe work. So clearly as a role, we've got a unions, unions have a role in campaigning to reverse these policies to make sure that um, everyone, including those that have come here as asylum seekers and refugee, have a right to work and all the protections and conditions that we've fought for over generations. Third reason, of course, is that it's union members that are on the, often on the front line of what's happening in our detention system and it's see the direct result of the oppression and violence suffered by um, asylum seekers and refugees. It's healthcare workers, it's social service workers and it's workers in border protection. These policies actually strip not only asylum seekers um, of their humanity, but of course are detrimental to the very workers who are trying to work with them and care for them. And finally, we stand in solidarity with refugees because um, they themselves are organising. We just heard Lucy um, give an example in terms of the rally a few weeks ago. So they're organising and resisting these government policies. And there have been countless inspiring protests by refugees, <coughs> sometimes in detention and sometimes um, those that are out, who are working to expose the true horror of what's happening in places like Manus and Nauru, but also the daily reality of what's happening here in Australia. So the fact that we've got people on TPVs and, uh, and people in detention organising so courageously, how can we not stand, stand by, side by side with that? So we've got a proud history um, in our movement of fighting for rights and fighting uh, uh, against injustice. We have, of course, some great examples of that in the apartheid struggle. Recently, I had the great honour of representing us um, in East Timor for the 20th anniversary of their independence fight as well. These are something, this is not new to the union movement that we fight and stand up. Um, when there is a case of injustice. And here in relation to refugees, we've seen the baby Asha case, which we were so looking forward to hearing Michael and, you know, was such an inspiring moment in terms of our Queensland comrades um, who played such an extraordinary role in making sure that she was not able to be deported. Um, and that not, it was, of course, the health workers initially on the front line, but they were joined by many, many other unionists in that struggle. And last year in Queensland, we also saw teachers that went on strike over the detention of our children in, um, in Nauru. Uh, we saw ASU members who've uh, 
really organised to lobby their super fund in terms of divesting from companies that are profiteering from detention system. We've seen doctors organised in terms of getting kids off Nauru as well as nurses of course and other health workers um, and it was healthcare workers and many thousands of other unionists who were critical in achieving the Medivac legislation. And recently, as Lucy's taken us through, we've all been part of the fight in terms of um, ensuring that uh, Priya Nandez and their girls are allowed to stay. And unions had a great win just recently with the fight over um, Hakim El Arabi. So uh, the role we played in that was a critical role and it's sort of a point I wanna get to before Lucy winds me up, which is Sometimes we play very public roles as unionists in this fight and struggle, and that's appropriate that we do show leadership. But there's also work that we do uh, that is not just current, but has happened over many decades here in Australia now as part of this fight that is not always public, not always spoken about, not always seen, but often extraordinarily courageous and important. Um, as far as supporting people who are seeking freedom or who are being persecuted or who need our help. So there is a lot that we do in the public eye, but there's also an extraordinary amount that unionists do that we don't um, broadcast. <laughs> So we've got to reform, do more on these wins. I, I don't want to go over time, but I do want to say to you that uh, it's really important that we don't give up this fight. It is a fight for the sort of core of what our country's about. It's something that we as unionists have a responsibility to be at the centre and to lead when we can. Um, we need to organise collectively about how we do this. And one of the great things we can do as unionists, of course, is we can be opinion shifters. So the work that we do, the anti-racism work, the work we do with migrant workers, the work we do with our members in making sure that the faces, the names, the reality of the lives of people is what people understand, is what will change public opinion. And one thing I know about most politicians is their followers. They're not leaders of public opinion. So our job is to build that public understanding, change the discourse, challenge the racism, challenge the fear, and put facts into the equation, but also, so importantly, we've got a job of unions of putting a human face into the reality of what's happening to people. I know many of you are involved in doing that every day. So um, I wanna uh, not say the rest of what I was gonna say, um, but say to you that it is great to be with you as comrades. Uh, there's groups like this, not just here in Melbourne, um, but all over the country, and I know that many of you do extraordinary work. I want to pay tribute to the work that you do in this struggle. It's a hard one. It's a long one, but it's one worth fighting for, and, of course, it is about touch one, touch all. Thanks. Thanks very much, Michelle. That was, that was really inspiring. Do you want to just... Keep, keep moving down the line, oh, right. Matt. Okay. Go for it. Well, uh, hi, everybody. My name is Matt Kunkel. I'm the director of the Migrant Worker Centre. Um, just don't want to traverse the same territory that Michelle's just been over, but there's a couple of things that I wanted to raise about how practical things that unions can do to improve the um, progress towards a more fair and equal society and uh, one that's more inclusive of refugees. And I actually want to pay tribute here in this building to the Nurses Union, which has got a great program 
about um, offering job opportunities specifically to people from these communities, understanding that it's very difficult to get work uh, and to get, their, uh, get a first job when you don't have experience in Australia. And I know that they're doing that work and um, trying to help people by engaging them and bringing them into workplaces. And I think it's something that other unions could really take a leaf out of the nurse's book if there's officials around the room that take it back to their, their leadership. Um, because what we, what we know is that exposure to people in these situations, exposure to refugees or people seeking asylum can make such a huge difference. And I want to tell you a little bit of a story about my time when I was an organiser at the, um, at, it was the LHMU at the time, now United Voice or UWU, whichever one, whatever day, whatever day it is today. Um, but uh, I used to organise security guards. Uh, and as many people would know, there's a lot of people from South Asia who are in the security industry, but there's also a lot of old white blokes. Um, and one day I was at the oil refinery out in Spotswood um, talking to people about an enterprise bargaining agreement negotiations. And um, that old 50-something white guy who's, you know, you, you can make a picture of him. You, I think you already have a bit of a picture. Um, wasn't very happy about all the, his words, abadabadoodoos coming straight off the boat, taking people's jobs. And I was sort of taken aback, not just at the racism, but at the fact that standing right behind him was a man that I knew, his name was Ali. And I looked over this man's shoulder to Ali and the, Ali's face had sunk a little bit. But then this white guy turned around and was like, oh, not you, Ali, you're one of us. And that was one of the things that we need to expose more people to other people in these situations because solidarity is born out of understanding, out of this human connection. Um, and what we need to do is fight to make our workplaces more equal and more inclusive of all people from no matter where they're from and no matter their situation. Um, unions can help and if those of you that are active inside your unions, we need to be active inside of unions, not just as unionists in the workplace, but within the structures of our unions as well. And one way that we can do some of that is also by putting some, um, you know, putting some asks on, on people inside unions to involve these types of issues at our delegates' conventions. Uh, and I know some unions do, and I'm speaking at one next week and at another one the week after, um, but we need to continue to raise these issues and highlight just how important it is that we're fighting for all workers not just the people that we're already in the union, not just the people we're comfortable about talking to in the workplace, but absolutely everybody. Um, because there are 1.1 million temporary migrant workers in Australia. Uh, and as a union movement, we can't succeed on anything unless we bring all of those workers together. Refugees and people seeking asylum are uh, a small part of that, um, of our mixed migration system, but they are an important part because they are, as Michelle said, used as a way to divide us. And it is quite clear, and I think Michelle wrapped it up, the people in Canberra need us to be fighting each other at the moment because as soon as we turn our gaze to Canberra, everyone would realise, um, black, white, no matter where you're from, just how bad things are up there. So they need, they need this division, they need to sow this division, and our job, our primary job, must be to overcome it. To do that, we're going to need to transform the trade union movement. I mean, um, we are quite white, um, myself included, um, and we need to do more to bring people in from the shop floor, to lift them up, to train people, again, to make our union movement more diverse, so that we are having more diverse opinions, we're having more of these um, voices heard. 
Um, and really the only way that we're going to be able to do that and put pressure on, on, our, um, on our structures to make that happen is to organise. And Unions for Refugees is a great organisation for that. It's great to see so many people in the room from a number of different unions coming together to deal with these types of issues. Um, but we need to be doing more of that. We need to be reaching further into our workplaces and bringing people along to these types of things uh, and to other types of rallies and mobilisations because often we see the flags. It's great to see the union flags of the refugee um, at the refugee marches. Unfortunately, when we look around and those of us that are there see the people holding the flags, I recognise a lot of people that work at the union office uh, or at a union office or are, are people that are, are I guess, um, there each time. We need more people. We need the rank and file to come along to these things. And we're only going to do that if somehow we can reach into the workplaces and make these workplace issues. Um, on that point, um, some of the work we're doing in the Morrigan Worker Centre, well, all of it really is, is focused on the idea of making all workplaces and all migrant workers, irrespective of whether or not they're refugees or people seeking asylum or here and other reasons, but making sure that the they are safe, respected and organised and that's the most critical thing that we can do as unionists is to make sure that refugees have a place in our movement, to bring them, to ask them to join unions and then for unionists to stand alongside refugees in their struggle for changes to the visa pathways, um, changes to abolishing the detention system and making sure they're actually real changes for, for people in this country. Um, but also, as we've been sort of fighting for at the moment, to make sure that you can't be discriminated against just on the basis that you're here on a temporary basis, which is what we see. Some of the great work, um, I don't know how much time I've got, Lucy, I'm flying through four so minutes, fantastic. <laughs> I want to pay some tribute to one of the organisers in the centre, Lavanya, who's been doing a lot of work um, with her community, the Tamil community in particular, to really, like, most of the work, or a large majority of the work that the centre has done, and a lot of the money that's been recovered is for people in refugees and people seeking asylum. Those that have work rights, some people haven't, but we've still managed to get some money back for them as well. Um, critically, what that's meant is union growth. It's meant more power, it's meant more powerful workplaces where those workers are, and it's something that all people, all workers, all, un all unionists, should be taking up the mantle and bringing those people in. Um, and making their issues important because we need to lift the tide for all ships, um, including those people that are at the, um, the very pointy end of that, that situation. So we need to turn up, we need to stand in solidarity with workers, we need to make our workplaces more inviting and more inclusive places for refugees. Uh, and the best way we can do that is by, as unionists, supporting programs to try and get people into those um, workplaces in the first place, trying to help people into work. Um, so I might leave it there, um, which is perfectly nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hi everybody and welcome again here at ANMF. My name is Ghaniana Dagale. I just want to apologize in advance for my voice. I just catch a very bad flu and I lost it. <laughs> Is everybody can hear me? Oh, perfect. Cool. So um, I'm here tonight. I just want to share my story and how I end up at the NMF, uh, such a great place to work with lovely people. Uh, I came to Australia 2013 by boat and I've been in detention center for over three months and then after that they gave us a bridging visa and we end up in Melbourne. 
Well, the first two years in Australian community was basically jail at home, no right to education, no right to study, no right to work, um, a Centrelink benefit which is equal to 50% of what the citizen get. Um, it was a very difficult time for a, for a young um, child. I was older in a family. I've uh, seen my sibling go to school, but I had to stay back because I was 18 and I wasn't eligible to study. So after two years, I was looking around for a place to start my education. And I found the school is in North Melbourne, St. Joseph, which I went there and I did my year 12 VCAL. After that, I start looking into pathway to go back to uni as I had a dream to become a doctor. So I applied for a scholarship through different universities, and it's like a competition. We have 250, around 300 students applying for a scholarship, and it's only one or two available for people with a refugee background, the bridging visa to study at university as we don't have right to apply for HECS or do a bachelor degree. Um, I applied the first year, I didn't get it. I was crying, I was broke down, I said, that's it. Um, after two days in myself, crying and all depressed, I said, no, I am better than this. So I stand up, I went to the TAFE, I did Cert 1 Health Science Foundation, I transferred in the diploma with full recommendation letter as a top one student at Victoria University, and then after that they <coughs> went through interview, put my application among with 300 other students, and received a phone call after a week saying you got the scholarship into the Bachelor of Nursing and midwifery. I was crying, but this time it was from happiness. We all go like through that down moment in the life, but I think the most important thing just to have that hope and kick you and that passion and stand up again and keep going. So currently I'm in a third year of my Bachelor of Nursing and Midwifery. I recently got offered to do another scholarship uh, from my workplace to do a Bachelor of Paramedic, which unfortunately we don't have a triple degree in Australia, so I have to hold on to that degree for now. Uh, but when I got the scholarship, that was a, such a great news, like that was a dream come true for me and my family, but I faced a very difficult financial moment as the government was against whoever wanted to study university, there's no payment, there's no benefit. So what happened to my friend, they end up being homeless or giving up the scholarship and a dream of becoming nurses or midwife or engineers. Um, I got a person, she's not here, I hope that she'll hear, Sally Morgan, co-hope shop, and that's a union as well. So she advocated for us, and she was my teacher at year 12 as well. Um, she sent an email to all union for the student in regard of what sort of um, pathway they study at uni. So I was doing nursing midwifery, I was just in contact with AMF. And they were great, they were quick responder, they were like, yes, here we go, we, we need assistance and, and why not, you know. And the first day that I came here, I never forget, I even, like, wow, that's a very big building and how I will do that job and that looked very difficult and everything. But I got there, everybody was so friendly, so supportive, they teach me step by step how 
to stop, you know, how to start my life again in here and, and I count it as my home now. Um, thank you, Kathleen. You've been a great um, the librarian, helping not only financially, but also with giving us the support during our study, if we need a book, if we need any help during our assignment. English is my third language. I took five different Arabic, I took Persian and then English. So um, it is challenging for us to get engaged with, with education system and university doing a great job, union doing a great job, my work with ways, with how we can improve our language and, and get engaged with our community and close the gap. And I think that's important that people tonight in this room to know that no matter what colour we are, no matter what is my religion, no matter what I'm wearing, we're all human, we're all from one. And that's the top one. That's a top religion. And we have to support and help each other. Thank you very much for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much, Gunia, and to all of the speakers. That was a really great um, setting of the scene for, for, our, for our discussion now. So um, what I'm going to do is just open up the speaking list. So if you have something that you'd like to say, a question is fine, um, or a comment is also great. Um, I'll take a list of people who are keen to speak. Just put your hand up. Um, and then uh, if you can keep your comments to about two minutes, I'll start tapping. Um, you speak for um, more than two minutes and you can start to wrap up after that. Um, so we'll take a bunch of questions. If there are lots of direct questions to any of the specific speakers, then I might collect a few specific questions and then bounce back to them and then back to the audience. But we'll see how we go. So, okay, Max first, off you go. So Matt and maybe Michelle, how many unions put out general information, maybe a magazine or news bulletins, uh, helpful material in more than just English. Uh, Ilya. Um, just want to congratulate the ACTU and Michelle in particular for the fantastic work that you've been doing uh, in uh, on, on this particular issue uh, and Matt Conco on, on the work that the migrant uh, uh, worker center is, is doing in this area. As you probably know, I've been uh, an activist with Labour for Refugees for many years, and uh, also uh, uh, within Labour we, we managed at the last national conference, as you're aware, to change, if you like, our platform to um, improve many, many different things, uh, along with abolishing TPVs and shares and replacing them with transition to permanent uh, permanent uh, visa status, uh, as well as many, many, many other improvements. Uh, a question uh, to, um, uh, uh, in particular, uh, to what the ACTU uh, and and uh, unions who make up 50% uh, of delegates to the national conference, what uh, we can do to make sure that at the, uh, this coming national conference uh, next year, uh, we do not. Uh, uh, discard all the, the great improvements that uh, have already been adopted at the last national conference um, and uh, that uh, labor sticks to its gun 
and, and uh, retains the positive improvements that have been adopted. Um, do you, I guess there's two, two direct questions. Do either of you want to answer? I can speak to the first one. Sure. You've got the second one, Michelle. Um, as far as the multilingual, <laughs> as far as the multilingual uh, materials, um, I'm not aware of many at all that do that work. Um, at the Morrigan Worker Centre, we have started to develop materials in a number of different languages, which if there's anyone here from different unions that wants to include material in their, um, in their newsletters, um, we can help you with that. We can help translate your campaign material into a number of different languages. We also have, um, we put out a newsletter at least once a month in, um, in Chinese as well, talking about union, union issues. So, at the moment, it's, a, it's an area that a lot of people, we could do more, um, it's just a matter of um, finding people that want to, want to do it. Yeah, and nationally on that, it varies across different unions and different branches of unions. So it's not consistent. So some branches of unions have um, a long history of making sure they provide multilingual information. Um, and then you go to another state and the same union doesn't do any of it. So it does vary. It's often driven at a sort of level of um, the state officials and whether, you know, Matt's point, you know, if the more our movement reflects the reality of the Australian society, the you know, better we are at making sure that we don't communicate only in English. But it's a sort of chicken and egg, of course, because the movement's not going to reflect who we are if we don't reach out to people in their first language. So. Um, I'd say we've got a long way to go, it's hit and miss. Some unions have a great and long history of doing it, but you know, I could count them on one hand, really. And sorry, I didn't answer the Labour Party question. So, um, look, I, I think the reality of it is that, as you know, it comes down to a lot of work and a lot of united work across the country. So the more that um, refugee activists within the party and within unions can work collaboratively and in a sort of strategic way together. That's what I've seen makes the biggest difference. Um, it's, it's often not the case of who has the uh, most sort of correct argument, because often there's no doubt we're winning the argument. <laughs> um, but of course, you can win the argument without winning a change to the platform and with the change that you need to see within the Labor Party. So you've both got to have the persuasive arguments and facts, but you've also got to be able to do that long, hard work building numbers. Um, and that does require work across unions and getting them to be uh, in the best possible position around platform changes or support. Uh, and also, of course, uh, around um, rank and file members too. So there's no, there's no escaping. Um, if we if we don't have the sort of refugee activists who have an engagement um, either within or connected to the party working um, in as unified a way as possible, we don't win. So if you've got a slight difference between what you know Labor for Refugees is saying in Victoria compared to in New South Wales, it just means we're easily divided. Um, or if the you know unions. Um, don't have a sort of common view and you can't work on a common view, we lose. So that, that takes time. Um, David? Yeah, um, I'm a member of the organising committee and I can tell you that before this evening we thought, will we get 20 people, will we get 25? So we're, I think I can speak on behalf of the organisers, we're blown away by the number of 
people in the room tonight. So thank you not just to the speakers, but everybody who's, uh, who's come along. I think there's about 60 people in the room. I think that's really impressive. Um, but I think it's really important that we don't rest on our laurels. Okay, we've got a good forum. We've got some people in the room. What do we do next? And one idea that we've started to kick around is looking to call a rally later this year, potentially with the Migrant Workers Centre, depending on uh, uh, priorities and timing, potentially with the TPV campaign around the demands of, of permanent rights for, for people, regardless of how they got here, regardless of when they got here, and obviously along with permanent rights goes the idea of equal rights in, in the workplace. So I think this is core union business, but it's core union business that's really relevant to refugees, asylum seekers, people, as Kenya uh, explained, who are marooned without rights or with very, very, very few rights. And I think the TPV campaign has been a revelation, not just a big rally here, they also managed to get oh, 1,000, 2,000 people up to Canberra for a rally there. And I think if we bring our forces together, we could uh, pull off something that's really quite impressive. So I'll throw that idea out there, not trying to put uh, timelines or you know, slogans or anything to it, but just propose that possibly as the next step forward that we as unionists concerned about refugee rights, as well as refugees who are in the union movement, can combine over um, between now and the end of the year. Um, was it Hassan or Mass? Hello everyone. Um, can I stand up? Sorry. Please do. Yeah, yeah. I feel better standing up. Um, I'm Mass. Um, we came to Australia in 2013 as well, how uh, Ghania was talking. And I'm very proud to see her, how she talks. And it. Like, it makes me feel re really good because like, there are not many people like her. Like, there, there are not as strong people like her. So many people are still scared to get up, to talk, to say their um, problems. But we are 30,000 people. We are not one, two, or like even hundreds. We are 30,000 people living in Australia. And we need everyone's support who's here, who like your community as well. You go out there, you talk your friend, to your friends, to the community you work with, and like educate them. We need people to know about us. Because like, I work in Craigben South Primary School. I'm a um, teacher aide there. And when I talk to all my colleagues about like, how I came to Australia and like um, all our story, our visas, they don't even know what my visa is. And they say, when are you going to be permanent? I don't know what to tell them. Like, what is the next step with your visa? I don't know what to say. I just close down. I just go shot. I don't know. I'm like, what do I tell them? Like, they're not going to understand me because like they've never been in my situation. They never knew about my situation and all of that. So it's better to educate people first and to tell them to, I don't know, to help us, to support us, because we need this support. With the support we get, the more support we get, the bigger our community will be and we will be heard somehow. And thank you so much for these groups, like all these groups that help refugees, because we really need your help. We, more the help we get, like the better we will be and I am pretty sure we will survive at some point. I know survive is not a good word to use, but like we have to survive. Like there's no other words that I can use for our situation. Our situation is survive, it's not a win anymore. Because like I've been rejected twice. Next step I'll be like Tamil family. 
you're gonna come to court for me. I'm gonna be like, maybe in Christmas Island. I don't know what will happen, you know? So that's why I've just thought of getting up and just telling you. My Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm a grandmother who gets the attention of refugee children. We've actually changed our name now to the Refugee Advocates Who's the Senator? We're organising the electorates, and I'm very fortunate to live in the electorate of Cooper with Jane Carmen. Uh, Jane set up a refugee advisory group. It started last year, and we worked really hard on looking at the Labour Party policy and actually putting in submissions. So that was something that we could do. And I would support everybody here to actually get in touch with their local AOPL member, if they're an electorate, and get them to set up a similar group. I just, I think it's been really good. We've got refugees in the group as well, silent seekers. So we're on a new front now because the other thing is, as a grandmother against the attention of children, the United Nations came out yesterday and condemned what was happening to the Bewanda children on Christmas Island. Those children are at serious risk. They're violent. There's a violation of all the international rights of the child with those children. And all the the actual policies we have in this country about the care and education around the parents. I mean, they've had two playgroups in 17 months. They're now surrounded by guards, they're watched all the time, their bedrooms are invaded, the mothers are coming to the toilet. It's just outrageous. And those children are seriously, this is abuse. Um, and I wonder if there's some way that the ACTU could actually make a statement to support the UN or some statement actually saying, yes, those children need to be released and put in a community context because it's really devastating what is happening to them. Thank you. Hi, um, and thanks so much to the to all our speakers. Um, and I just wanted to talk actually a little bit about um, the Bill Wheeler family because I think, I mean, oh, it's a shame that, that we didn't have Michael tonight, but I think the Bill Wheeler family are kind of the next, uh, potentially, you know, the, the next baby Asher um, moment. And I guess just thinking a little bit about um, what was so successful then um, at Lady Salento Hospital and what we need now. And I think we can see very clearly that the success at Lady Salento was the leadership of the trade union movement. Like, that's what won it. And it was, it was the leadership of the workers in the first instance, refusing to release her. And then it was the leadership of, of um, you know, our Queensland comrades saying, we are behind this 100% publicly. We're, you know, we're, organi we're calling through our phone trees. We're calling the demos, we're down there on the picket line um, to, to protect Baby Asher and, and how important that was. I think, you know, sometimes I, um, uh, you know, talking to other activists and stuff, we have some, there's sometimes some anxiety and has been particularly around the Bill Wheeler family that when we're public about our support for them, that that might make the heart of the Peter Dutton to kind of quietly shuffle them back home. But I think the reality is, is that every year, Tamil Tamils are deported by the Australian government. Every year people are returned to, to danger. The only reason that Priya and Nades and their girls haven't been is because we've made a fuss about it. That's why they're still here. They're not here despite us making a fuss. They're here because we made a fuss. Um, and obviously here in, in very bad circumstances and we want to change that. So I guess I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's something that we can kind of think about going forward and. Um, certainly thinking about what Mass was talking about in terms of the 30,000 people who are currently facing 
very similar circumstances to those you know which have have got to this point with Priya and Nadez and their their girls. Um, that it's going to take that public fight and that public leadership from our movement to actually make sure that there's no more no more deportations like this. <coughs> Thanks for that. I'd actually like to, my question follows on from that really. I actually I became involved in uh, pro-refugee stuff actually and I betray my age uh, in the early 90s when Jerry Hand was the <coughs> Minister of Immigration for people who can remember. I've been around so many years and I've seen the movement fluctuate up and down. I remember when in Melbourne we had demonstrations of 30,000 people in the early 2000s. That didn't do much, really. But we are here because we're all unionists. And really, and that example of baby Asia, uh, what it shows is the force of our movement. And really, there are a lot of groups out there as, as pro-refugees. But we as workers and unions are, are only one. We are a special type of group. We've got industrial muscle. And my question is, if we want to stop the deportation, if we want to close the camps and all that, we have to start to organise and we have to actually start to be po politically to say we will actually take industrial action, whether legal or illegal, that's by the by. We have to stop this politics of repression and if it's not us, by our actions, by organising, no one else will. And I, my question is, I've been around about 25 odd years and I've seen too much suffering, too much effort and it's time and we've had times, we've seen it overseas, we've seen it here. If, if we organise and to say we will take action so the planes don't go, mm -hmm. the detention centres don't get any water, don't get any electricity, etc., etc., mm -hmm. then we can actually really stop the whole politics of repression. Most of the map, but potentially also for Diane. I know my workplace would be really quite our refugees and people on temporary um, but I know that the HR is glacially slow when it comes to like actually processing hires. Um, would you have any advice for pushing for maybe some kind of expedited hiring policy around that, or some kind of known structure around that? And also for for Danny and Mars, where would you advertise to reach people in situations? Um, potentially get that one out. Um. I would say social media, like there's not elsewhere that I can say we will talk about it. Social media is the best and um, what, in regards to what he said, um, I've been uh, applying for Aldi so many times before I get to this school and like they don't um, hire us because of our visa, because our visa is unknown, that's what they say. Your visa's unknown, we're not going to get you because you know, you're not going to um, get someone who you're not sure if they're gonna live in Australia for six months or two years or three years. I totally say they're right. I wouldn't do that too, but I don't know what we can do about it. And there are some people who doesn't have education. They need to work in Aldi. They need to work in supermarkets. They're not like me. I went to um, Tate. I studied um, like um, <coughs> certificate three because I could. I had the um, background of studying, <coughs> but there are some people that they don't want to study. Mm -hmm. And there are like some places that they don't give them a job. Mm -hmm. Do you want to address, yeah, yeah, I mean, <coughs> this kind of feeds back to what Pierre was just saying, is that you and your workmates have the power to put pressure on your boss about this. So um, 
I mean, hopefully your workplace is unionised, hopefully you're a union member yourself. Um, making HR do anything is impossible a lot of the time, unless you are organised, unless you put that pressure on. Um, so I'd say, I mean, just keep putting that pressure on collectively, whether you come together, you write a letter to your boss together, you do the petition, like all of that kind of stuff, take some form of collective action and demonstrate that it's important to your employer and it might shake something loose. Um, What's HR stand for? Human resources. Well, I mean, that's what they call themselves, but um, <laughs> there's other terms, I'm sure. But the, that's probably the best way to do it. There's no magic bullet to that, but just keep the pressure on. Um, where do you advertise? We've got people like lining up for jobs if you want. Um, people that are looking, we've got people that have got university degrees in their home country that just would take any opportunity to like do data entry or anything like that. So if you've got jobs like that, you can always come to us and we can help you um, connect in with people that way. Yeah. Um, Max, I just want to um, add to the questions about what can be done about the Bilawala family. I used to prosecute health, I'm retired now, but I used to prosecute health and safety cases with WorkSafe here in Victoria. And I got to know the Commonwealth Health and Safety Act backwards. And so using my knowledge, I wrote on the 16th of May this year to Comcare, which is the federal equivalent of WorkSafe, uh, I wrote a please prosecute letter, which the Act allows you to write if there's been an apparent series of health, health and safety offence and no prosecutions happened in six months' time, you can write that letter. And on the 11th of June, I got a indicative reply saying we will commence <coughs> an investigation and this was into the health the gross health neglect of, of the, you know the girl they let her teeth rot mm. until she had to have a general anaesthetic so they agreed to investigate the investigation started in june it's still going on i also sent a 40-page submission really detailing about five or six other breaches of the act sorry i should say the act says you've got to look after not only workers but also other persons, which means others. You know, usually it's visitors, customers, involved, but in a detention centre or whatever it's officially called, it's the detainees, the residents. And again, it wasn't a plea, but Comcare came back and said we've allocated an inspector to look into all these things. Finally, I wrote a request in relation to the exile at Christmas Island for an improvement notice people in workplace will know, improvement notice says you're breaching the Act, this is how you're breaching it, get yourself in compliance by date X or else. Uh, they declined to issue that, but I think with the situation getting worse and worse, and evidence of being surveilled and listened to and videoed 24-7, uh, that's a clear case, so uh, I'll be writing again very soon. I'll just finish, I'll be a bit busy with the submission number 20, sorry, the submission number 75 to the um, committee that's looking into the attempt to repeal Medivac. Uh, Robert Richter QC agreed to co-write it with me. If you want to uh, <coughs> lose, you know, get the hair stand on, read that submission, number 75. Don't want to cut the conversation short, but Garnia has to go, so she's just going to make a few comments so before she does. Um, thanks again, everybody, for coming. It's really mean a lot for us, for HS and refugees. We really appreciate it, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Um.
Okay, I've got nobody else on the list, so I might just gently abuse the chair here because I did have something that I wanted to say in response to um, Pierre's comment too, just in terms of how to how to reach the point where workers do take industrial action um, to challenge the, challenge the laws. I, I, I mean, I think often when we talk about that, it's very pie in the sky. It feels very pie in the sky to get to a point where, you know, air, airline workers are refusing to act. Um, but I just wanted to give the anecdote of Teachers for Refugees and some of the actions that we've been doing that um, have um, essentially broken the law and put the government very much on the, you know, opposed to us, openly, you know, telling us to go back to work and take our T-shirts off and things like that. And it's been a slow process of, as, as people have said, educating. So we've had, um, you know, at school levels, people like Mas and other refugees um, coming in to, like at a sub-branch level to talk to colleagues, like just a group of sub-branch members about the situation that they face, just a, like an after-school conversation, things like that. We do the, the selfie, so for the Bill Wheeler family, you know, at lunchtime in front of the whiteboard, everybody holding our photos saying, teachers for refugees, don't deport. And it has, you know, we share it on social media. Those ones are pretty low level these days and nobody, you know, it doesn't, it's no major threat to Scott Morrison or Peter Dutton, but it does kind of get that sense that there is a massive group of people who are opposed to what they're doing. There are a lot of people watching. But then there are the ones where, like where we did wear these t-shirts into work, um, and that was because, you know, the government wants to control the narrative. They want to control what people think. They want to control how people understand refugees and racism. And to have teachers across Australia saying, wearing in front of kids a message that contradicts their own crap is really powerful. So, you know, they get kicked up a huge stink about it. And they said, you know, take them off, we'll sack you all, etc. And we didn't. And hundreds of teachers wore them into class and it got a lot of media. But the high point was when we had our walk-off last year where um, a couple of hundred teachers here in Victoria and in Queensland walked out of school to say the kids need to come off Nauru because as Comrade said like it's 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 an abuse of children and it's an abuse and not just of children of adults too and we're mandatory reporters you know like it's part of our job we know what it's like when kids are abused and we know the consequences of it so we felt very strong and confident about calling out the government on that basis but we had to have the union back us and when you know the AEU said we support you walk out that meant that people felt confident to do it. So it's a process of pulling the union along, pulling you know, sub-branch members and, um, and, and workplaces along and making sure, as Matt said, that everybody understands each other, that Mass is my colleague, do you know what I mean? Like she, she is, there's no, she should be me, you know what I mean? Like there's no, there should be no discrimination between us. It's appalling that there is. Um, and, and that gives, I think, people a lot of confidence to, to say to the government, we're not, you, you can act as strong and confident and whatever as you like, but we're going to stand up to you. And they were. You know, Morrison was saying the kids are never going to come off. And by December 25th, all the kids were off. And we did that, you know. And I think we need to hold on to that, that they will, they will pretend to be really strong. They'll pretend to be relentless. But we're stronger than them. And we can organise. That wasn't, you know, a massive industrial action of thousands of workers. That was, you know, groups of people around the countries pushing the envelope and openly defying the government in whatever way they could. And I think that's what we've... We've got to do that for Manus. We've got to do that for Nauru. There are still people there and the Bamana 53. But it's people in the communities. Once they're off, they're not accessing health care. They're still locked up in detention centres or they're locked up in their houses, you know, in the situation that they're in. So I think there's a lot that we can still do. And I, it's 
and you're with 3CR 855 AM. Um, that was um, a recording of How Can Unions Fight for Refugees Rights um, held on the 2nd of October. Um, so if you want any more information, 